Hey, how many of you have been to Chick-fil-A? Oh, okay, so we got, see, there were no woos the first service. It was, we had hands, they were polite. <laughs> um, now, Chick-fil-A has always been a great experience for me. The food is good, you go in, you know, you, you, yeah, the, you know, the mortgage on my house went through, and, yeah, and you get food, and it's wonderful because the people there, with every thank you, they respond with? My pleasure. My pleasure. And you're just like, isn't that sweet? <laughs> this person behind the counter, working a hard day, hands me my nuggets, <laughs> and it's their pleasure. <laughs> and it does get me thinking like, how do you get there? How do you get to a place where serving is your pleasure? Where it's not just about the paycheck and not just about, okay, here, memorize this line. And because I'm pretty sure that the girl handed me my regular chicken sandwich with no pickles because the pickle just sabotages everything on the sandwich. It's not, amen, yeah, okay. So that I'm pretty sure that that's not always her pleasure. I'm pretty sure that there, there are moments in her, in her life right there where you're like, ah, this isn't convenient for me. This isn't really what I want to do. This isn't really what, But how do you get to a place where it is? How do we get to a place in our lives where we go, hey, serving others? And in this context of, of worshiping God and living for God becomes our pleasure. Where we don't just settle for a routine, we don't just settle for a ritual, we don't just settle for what we know, but where we go, what? Honor God with my life? My pleasure. What? Serve others even when it is in, an inconvenient and, and it is not something that I maybe naturally want to do? My pleasure. And we've been going through this, this letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a younger guy named Timothy who was uh, estab helping establish a church. And Paul is writing to Timothy and laying out some of the things that are important in the establishing of a ministry in the name of Jesus. And we spent the last three weeks going through the, the requirements for someone who's going to be in the position of an elder. An elder, okay, is an overseer, okay, someone in the position of an elder at a church, they are given the responsibility of overseeing the spiritual health and safety of that body of believers. And so it's an incredibly important, important role. And we see in, in his letter, he, he lays it out here that... Someone in this position should be above reproach, faithful to his wife, exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation, be hospitable, be able to teach, not be a heavy drinker or violent, be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money, and man manage his family well. Whew. Now, first of all, is there anything on that list where you're like, yeah, no, I don't, you don't need that. Is there anything on that list where you wouldn't see that in the life of somebody and be like, be like well, that's not a quality. Right? And so while these are requirements for someone given the responsibility to oversee and protect a body of believers, this is, these things are absolutely the call of God on the life of all of us who would say we are followers of Jesus. Okay, these aren't things that we can scoot around and be like, oh, well, yeah, but I'm not an elder, so I don't have to exercise self-control. Right? We, 
This is something that we, we all can look to, and we know this because throughout the New Testament, there are all kinds of things that we are called to that are in line with this. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5 said, let your light shine before all men. In Ephesians 5, it says, be imitators of God. In Titus 2, it says, in all respects, show yourself to be a model. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, flee youthful lusts. All those things are right here. So this is important that we don't just look at this list and be like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter to me. Oh, well, I'm not an elder, so I don't have to follow those things. If you are a follower of Christ, if you would call yourself a Christian, this is the call of God on our lives. And I'm gonna be really honest with you. There are definitely times I read something in the Bible and I'm like, does that have to apply to me? Anybody else? There are definitely things I read in here and I'm like, well, that's inconvenient. <laughs> I, I, I read stuff and I'm like, yes, God, I want you to have my life. I want to follow you anywhere. Maybe not there. <laughs> right? Anybody with me? You're right? So it's important that we consider, like, how are we viewing the truth of God? How are we viewing the call of God on our life? Is it on our terms? Is it based on how we're feeling, what we think is reasonable? Man, I'm telling you, God would not do much in my life if it was dependent on it feeling reasonable to me, right? But here, we, we should consider, all right, is my heart and my attitude in trying to get around this? The call of God on your life? Are you trying to justify other things? Be like, oh, well, I want to be able to do that. Oh, well, I want to be able to have this attitude. Oh, I want to be able to go here. I want to be able to treat people this way. And so I'm going to kind of flex. And I'm going to, I'm going to make this, you know, you know, other people in my class at school or my parents or, or friends or responsibilities that I have. Eh, I'm going Because trying to justify and compromise our way out of the call of God is not the heart of someone passionately pursuing Jesus. Yes? Some, as we try and make things okay according to us, that is not the heart of someone passionately pursuing life in Jesus. And so we have all of these things, and you notice the first one, all this stuff is under the guise of being above reproach, meaning living blameless, not perfect, but blameless. In a way that when we do wrong someone or we do something that isn't in line with what God's called us to or the example that we're setting for others, that we are quick to go to God and say, I confess, I, I ask you to come and bring healing in this area of my life. If we wrong someone else, we're quick to go to them and, and say, you know what, what I did back then, yeah, will you forgive me? And that we would, be, we would be blameless to the point where if someone were to bring an accusation against you, they would end up looking the fool. They would end up, anybody they, they said, they'd be like, what, her? I, I don't know what you're talking about because she, this, this is the call of God on our life. Are we eager for that? Because until we're eager for that, we're gonna keep compromising. We're gonna keep just going based on what feels good which, hey, what feels good, feels good. We're gonna keep going based on our own judgment of, well, I'm better than her. I'm not as bad as him. And everything becomes about our own agenda and what we're, what we're wanting to pursue for ourselves. So it's important as we move through this to understand that while yes, these are the requirements for people in 
the formal position of elder, which is an incredibly important position, and I am so thankful for our elders at this church and their, their consistent prayer for us. Do you, do you realize you're being prayed for on a regular basis? Do you realize that there are men in this church serving as elders who are consistently seeking God for LBF? Going, God, open us to, to your will and, and what you, you want for us. So these elders, this is an important place, an important position for them to be. And as Paul lays this out, he then moves on to another role that speaks to service in the church, and he calls them deacons. So if you want to get out your Bible, or if you want to look it up on your Bible, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and this is verse 8. It's also on the back of your bulletin, and it'll be on the screen. In the same way, deacons, which by the way, deacons means servant, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. Ah, as long as I wasn't an elder. To be worthy of respect, meaning men of dignity, they're to be sincere. Man, sincere is tough, yeah? To be sincere about anything takes commitment. You're not typically accidentally sincere, right? We don't, and so to be sincere means that you've put some thought into it. There's going to be effort and energy into it. By the way, a little side note, you can be sincerely wrong, which is why the Holy Spirit is so vital and that pursuit of the Holy Spirit is so vital to give us the wisdom and discernment to know when we are sincerely wrong. To know when we have gone left and, and went into an area of like, ah, oh, that's not what God has called us to. Or we go right and it's like, oh, well, this is my version of truth. But that we would stand confidently in the truth. And then in verse eight, he gives some cautions. That these people, as they serve, are not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. This is important stuff. Keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. He mentions this in contrast to the false teachers. And really, any of us who want to take truth and twist it to mean what we want it to mean. I mean, I know none of you have ever done that. I, certainly, I never have. But to, to take truth and be like, ah, well, that's inconvenient. Ah, I don't know how that's going to play in my family. You know what? If I hold my kids to that standard, they're going to be upset. You know, I don't know. And so he's looking at this and going, look, you are to hold tight to the truths of God. How tightly do you hold to the truth of God? How well do we even know the truths of God? But we are to hold tight to the truths of God where it doesn't become this mood thing, where it's like, oh, well, I, I, that, that seems acceptable or, or, or appropriate or doable right now in my life, and so I'll go ahead and follow that until it becomes inconvenient. And so he's going, look, hold on to these truths. And he says for these people in leadership as they serve people, they must first be tested. And it's not like this formal test. They're not taking the SATs like to qualify to, to serve people. But it is an observational testing of, you look at, you know, I can look at Jacob's life and be like, oh, what do I see in, in how he's living, right? And it's important what people see and not that we're putting on a show. 
And this is sometimes where we get tied up and we get twisted and we start making truth rel relative and, and well, what I need it to mean. It's not putting on a show. It's not trying to impress other people. It's living according to the word of God. They must first be tested and then if there's nothing against them, they're above reproach, let them serve as deacons. Let them serve. And then I love that Paul does this intentionally. He says, in the same way. So not in some lower category, not in some, well, on second thought kind of a thing. He's going in the same way, which by the way, he said that in the same way as the importance and, and the call of elders, in the same way, deacons. Now, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. And when he says the women, he's talking about women in the body of Christ, not just deacons' wives. He's talking about women in the body of Christ. And so he's going, look, ladies are absolutely going to be integral in the serving of the body of Christ, in the church, in our lives, in this, in this room, whether you are officially in some position or not. The opportunity to serve says in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate. Temperate meaning living with moderation and self-control. By the way, it's not just for the ladies. Guys, moderation and self-control. And trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, here at LBF, um, I, my parents were going here when I was born. And so I spent the first few years of my life here and I remember walking into the office and up on the wall in the office, because it was 1983, were all the Olin Mills portraits <laughs> of the elders and the deacons. And they were all gazing off at something, you know, but it had sort of that glossy look that, that you know, looked a little fuzzy, you know, kind of, but, and I remember there were, there were official, it was like the elders and the deacons. And then there were the deaconesses, right? The, the, the ladies who were serving in the church and the, it was an official position. And over time, through the ministry as, as God has moved here, over time, those positions became less of a title position, like you are a deacon, you are a deaconess, and it became opportunities to serve in ministry. And so it became things like people who uh, helped with the financials with the church and the calendaring and the paperwork and, and like really hands-on things, as well as things like life group leaders. In Exit 83, our small groups, we've got detour group leaders. We've got life kids, opportunities to serve in life kids. And these are all opportunities and very deacon-like positions. And these things, again, are open to us. And we are called to if we are calling ourselves believers, if we are calling ourselves followers of Christ. So it comes to this. It just keeps coming up in my head. How is this done? And I don't know about you, but for me, things get, tend to get really practical. And I start looking at this list. Like, all right, check it out. Worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. 
Okay. I, I can do that, right? Especially if I'm just using my own criteria, right? I could pass any test. I just start comparing things and start going, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm enough of that. Or I, I, I'll keep trying in this area. And so don't test me yet, but I, I'm getting... And we can make this so doable where we don't require any move of God. We don't expect God or need God, think we need God to do anything supernatural in our life. We just, yeah, this is, this is doable. In fact, on the back of your bulletin, there's a couple areas where, where you can jot some things down. In, in what area in your life do you just live under your own power? And by the way, you will not be the only one writing. Okay? In what areas of life do you just live under your own power? Because it's doable. It's reasonable. You have the skill. And then it brings us to a place of in what areas of, our, of your life have you stopped expecting anything supernatural? You're not expecting God to move in some massive way. You're not, you, you've stopped expecting God to bring healing or hope or joy or peace. In what ways have you, have you stopped looking? In fact, right now, I, I don't want to just keep going. I, I don't want to uh, just be like, all right, so listen, nod your head so I know you're with me. There's, there's pens in, a, in the back of a lot of the seats. Take out your bulletin right now. And, and consider these questions and start writing some stuff down. In those two areas, what are some ways that you are living, currently living under your own power? It's doable, it's reasonable, and so you're just doing it. And then the second one, in what ways do you need a supernatural intervention of God? You need him to bring healing, you need him to bring hope, you need him in your marriage, you need him parenting, you need, you need him in school, whatever. So right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a few awkward moments of just writing stuff down, okay? Because it's important that we think about this. So right now, grab your bulletin and at least stare at it. <laughs> at least consider it in your mind. Ponder these questions because we could certainly just move on and not really give any thought to it. I want us to be really intentional about giving thought to this. I'm not gonna play the Jeopardy theme or anything. Just just consider this for your life, where you're at. I tend to settle for doing things under my own power in the following areas. What is that for you? I need to pursue the Holy Spirit working supernaturally in the following areas. What is that for you? And I think the reason that I wanted to take just a, a minute, right, to do this is because if you're anything like me, it can be really easy to just go, you know, it'll work itself out. Let's move on. Come on, Jeff, finish up. I've got reservations. 
but to truly consider to take this before God. And I believe you're, uh, you're here this morning on purpose, not your purpose, but God's purpose. And I believe that he wants to stir stuff up in your heart. I don't know your, your situation. I don't know the things that you're facing. I don't know your, your engagement or lack of engagement with God, but I am confident. I believe his word when he says, I'm here. I am with you and I want to speak to you. And the reason it's important for us to consider these things is because there are times where it's not my pleasure. I don't want to follow the call of God. It's inconvenient. It's hard. People, people look at me weird. It's not what everybody else is doing. And it's not a pleasurable thing. And yet, there are things in my life that I need a supernatural healing of the Holy Spirit from the things that war against the Spirit of God in me. There are things in my life I need a supernatural ability to surrender to God because if I don't surrender to God, all I'm doing is church. But it's gotta be supernatural because I just can't muster up any reason to do this all the time. And is that our pursuit? Because when it's not our pursuit, we settle. We settle for whatever we can do. We settle for whatever works for us. We settle for whatever is convenient. There was a little boy, five years old, we're gonna call him Timmy. Timmy was in kindergarten. Timmy goes to kindergarten on one Monday morning and he says, teacher, teacher, on Saturday, my parents are taking me to Disneyland. She's like, oh, that's great. You're going to have a lot of fun. He's like, I know. Tuesday, teacher, teacher, only four more days until Disneyland. It's going to be awesome. She's like, I know, Timmy, that's going to be great. You're, you're, that's, that's fun. Wednesday, teacher, you know what's happening on Saturday? Yes, Timmy, I know it. Thursday, Friday. By Friday, everybody's ready for Timmy to go to Disneyland. It's, everybody's really excited. The weekend comes, and then Monday... The teacher goes outside to get her students and they're all lined up nice and it's like mouse ears. Timmy's got his Disneyland hat with the mouse ears and the name crookedly scrolled across the back. And she takes the class inside and she knows Nothing is going to happen today until Timmy gets to talk about his time at Disneyland. So she gets everybody sat down on the rug and she says, okay, now, Timmy, did anything special happen this weekend? And Timmy jumps up and he rushes to the front of the class and he's like, on Saturday, I got to go to Disneyland! And the class is like, we know. And the teacher says, tell us about Disneyland. You go, well, we left early in the morning because it took like three days to get there. And we had to go on three freeways. And then finally, we got to this big cement building. That's where all the cars live. And so we had to drive up and up and up and up and up. And the teacher's like, yes, Timmy, you drove up. Way good. And up and up. And finally, we found a spot for our car and we parked and then we went down the elevator and we got all the way down to the ground and then we got in line for the tram. All right, Timmy, what happened then? We got on the tram 
and the tram, it kind of went a little bit fast. And when the tram started going, all of a sudden, a man was talking from the ceiling of the tram. And he was saying some things. And then I saw a bush shaped like Mickey Mouse. And then I saw a bush shaped like Donald Duck. And it was the greatest thing ever. And finally, we got to a place where everybody got off the tram. And so I got off the tram. And that's when I saw it. A lady selling balloons and hats. Guess which one I got? She's like, I see your hat. That's great. She's like, yeah, I got a hat. And they put my name on the back so my sister can't steal it. And then I was like, wait a minute. That ride was so awesome. Let's do the tram again. So I got back on the tram. And we rode back to the big cement building where they park all the cars. But we hadn't been there for very that long. And so um, I said, let's do that again. And so we got back on the tram. I rode the tram 11 times. And then I was getting kind of tired. And so we got back in the car and we went home. Some of you are thinking not nice things about Timmy. And the teacher looks at him and goes, but Timmy, did you... Did you go through the, the gates? Like a big sign says Disneyland and then there's that big flower bed with Mickey Mouse and the train station and then you go through the tunnel and you walk down Main Street USA and you keep walking and you get to this big castle? Did you go on the Dumbo ride and the Pinocchio ride and the carousel and Autopia? Did you, did you go on the rides? And Timmy looks at her and he says, no, was I supposed to? Now, we look at Timmy, and we're like, you missed it. There was so much money. Yes, going on the drive, the drive there and going on the tram, that, that's part of the experience. I mean, that, yeah, that's, you're in the vicinity. It's, it's, it's part of going to Disneyland, but you missed it. You settled for so much less than what was right there available to you. And we can look at this little five-year-old and be like, you're dumb. And apparently your parents are kind of dumb too. <laughs> and we can look at that and settling for less, settling for less seems ridiculous. But just coming and sitting through church doesn't. Doing Christian karaoke can seem totally normal. We can walk out these doors after a 70-minute service and go... Well, wasn't that nice. Okay, God, see you next Sunday. To which, in all his love and compassion and desire to move powerfully in our lives, the Holy Spirit is going, you're missing it. I have this call on your life to not just do these things and check them off the list and be like, oh, well, I'm good enough. To look at these things that God calls us to, that he calls leaders to, that he calls his followers to, not to just do our best and, and like, okay, I'm going to go through the motions, I'm going to do what the Bible says, and, but the reality is, it's so tempting. And on top of it being just naturally tempting, we have an enemy working against us. Do you know that? We have an enemy that his priority is to get you just chill out. 
Come be all churchy. There's a whole, ooh, spirit of God. Oh, God works miracles. Okay, yeah, you don't need that. Well, come on. Let's go to church. When we come to church with complacency in our heart, I believe the devil is absolutely fine with it. Like, fine. It'll keep you busy for 70 minutes. But man, when we go, no, 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 I'm not just going through the motion. I'm not just doing church. I'm making myself available to the living God. Hell shudders. Because the power of God is available to us. And rather than just going through the motions, rather than just being good enough, rather than looking at a list of stuff and being like, yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. And even the stuff that we can pull off and we can convince everybody else, yeah, yeah, look at me, I'm temperate. God's going, do you want to know what supernatural looks like? Do you have a desire in your heart to know what an almighty move of the Holy Spirit in your life would be like? Because I'm ready. Here it is. Let's go. And you got to know, this is coming from somebody, I am really good at church. I grew up in church. I know all the moves. You want to see one? I know the words. I know how to interact with people. I know it. And it can be fun. I could just leave it there. I can walk out feeling good. Now I'm a pastor. Now I get paid for... And I'm... Telling you, I love these kids more than I can explain. And is all I expect for them to just be like, oh, Jeff didn't talk too long tonight. Oh, Jeff told a funny story. Good. Is all I'm wanting to position myself to do is, hey, and come up afterward if you want to pray, and, and I'll pray some prayer over you. And but in contrast. I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit move through this group of people. I have seen, I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit move through this group of people. I've seen it and I hear about it from mom to mom because it would be weird if I'd seen it there. And I've heard about it in various life groups if people are, are with one another and you're praying with each other through times of life and I see it that God is ready to move and he wants so much more for, than for us to just be like oh yeah, check, check yeah, self-control, okay to the best of my ability C.S. Lewis was a writer and theologian. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia and, and many other things. One of um, his fictional works that he wrote is called The Screwtape Letters. And this book is about a senior demon training a younger demon. And this is one of the passages in this book. I forgot to, because I have ADD. This is one of the passages in this book where he's training this demon on how to get people just to settle. And he says this. As soon as I can find it. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings that are there by the action of their own wills. 
When they meant to ask for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they're doing. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. This is how we get stuck. This is how we settle. Because you can come in this room and week after week after week, Dan's up here giving incredible messages and and speaking the truth to God. And we can go, oh, that felt good enough. Andy or Kevin or whoever is leading up here might do a song and you're like, got the warm fuzzies on that one. Good enough. And we start estimating the value of our relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life based on, did it feel right? And if it doesn't feel right, well, I'll try and churn up the right emotion. I'll try and check more things off the list this week. When the Holy Spirit is going, I'm here and I will move supernaturally in your life. Will you trust me to do that and will you seek that? Because the reality of it is, the alternative to supernatural Holy Spirit intervention in our life is, well, for me, Jeff trying his best. Jeff trying to look like the good guy. Jeff trying to be content and satisfied. And to that, I just ask each of you, how's it working for you? Because I know I settle a lot. In your life, right now this morning, I don't, I don't know what you're, you're up against, what you're facing, but are you willing to come before God and admit, recognize, I cannot live enough above reproach. I cannot be sincere enough or exercise enough self-control. I can't live wisely enough. I can't have a good enough reputation, be faithful enough, be trustworthy enough, manage my family well enough on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. Some of you, your family's a disaster. And you keep trying to, to pinpoint and be like, who can I blame? Whose fault is it? And some of you, you're quick to go, it's my fault, I'm terrible. Some of you, there's no way you'd ever point to yourself. It's everybody else's fault. Are you willing to acknowledge your need for a supernatural move of God in your family, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your life group, in your times at church? Are you in a place where you go, I I can't enough, I've, I've tried. Some of it, I look pretty good, but I want so much more. For some of you here, you hear all this talk about the power of God in your life, and you're like, I don't experience this. I don't know, I don't know what this is. No, I thought I just had to try harder. And you have not given your life to Jesus, meaning you have not gone to God and said, I am putting my faith in Jesus that it is he alone that can save me. That it is through Jesus I am forgiven for the ways that I've lived against God. That it is through Jesus that I will be filled with the Holy Spirit And God will move supernaturally in my life. 
That is the first thing you need to do. You don't get to skip that step and be like, okay, I'll go ask God for supernatural power. You need to ask God for his presence and allow him to be your savior. Some of you here this morning, maybe you're a lot like me, you're really good at church. You're, you're here a lot and you're faithful, which is awesome. Do you believe there's more? Do you believe and need a supernatural move of God in your life and you've been settling for calling yourself a Christian? Go into youth group, sending your kids to Sunday school. And there's nothing magical about Sundays. Although coming together is something that we are, are told by God to do. And so coming here and being here is important. But there's nothing magical about like, oh, I gotta wait till Sunday. And it only happens on Sunday. And then once I leave, I'm back on my own. The presence of God is with you as you put your faith in Jesus. And every week we have people up here who want to pray with you. And, and can I just encourage you and even challenge you? Some of you, the issue is you're trying to do this alone. Whether because you didn't know that there was anybody who would walk with you or you're too prideful to acknowledge I need somebody to walk with me or you think that you can just do it and, and it'll be fine. I wanna challenge you to let somebody walk with you. And by walk with you, I mean in relationship or even come up here and let somebody pray with you. Maybe it's gonna mean confessing some sin, some ways that you've lived against God and just saying it out loud breaks the bondages of hell. So say it out loud, speak it, name the thing in your life that is holding you back from fully embracing the presence of God in your life. And you can do that. Would you all stand with me? I don't, I don't know you all. I don't know your situation in life. I don't know what you're facing. But I know that you're not any different in the sense, from me, in the sense that you need a miraculous work of God in your life. Will you acknowledge that? Will you pursue that? Will you make yourself open to that? And church leaders, deacons, elders, pastors are gonna be up here in the front. So people, come on up, go ahead and up. And let people walk with you. Let them pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit over your life. And see what God wants to do because it will be miraculous. Not because I say so, but because he says so. Will you stand in that truth? Acknowledging you can't do this on your own and some of you, I know you're tired. Holy Spirit give you rest as you come to him. So as we sing this song, just come up. If there's too many people for the number of people we have up here praying, we'll bring more people up. But let's respond to what God is doing right now and what, he's, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart.